back at you. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see you this morning. I'm going to flip to the shortest chapter in the Bible. I got asked by my son the other day, well, what's the shortest chapter of the Bible? And it's Psalm 117. Give me just a second. Wonderfully, it's an evangelistic psalm. Two verses. It simply says this. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. If you were to start to read from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis all the way to that point, careful, thoughtful reading, you cannot miss that God does have a heart for the other nations. He does want them to know that he is creator God, king of kings, and lord of lords. And when we get to this psalm, it's just a wonderful reminder to Jews and Gentiles alike. It's not just for one. It's open to all. We're thankful you're here this morning. Thankful for you being online as well. Thank you that we have missionaries that we support that remind us of this great truth that we get to praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your great love to us, and we do praise you. Even together here, we come from many different backgrounds, um, different races, and uh, maybe different economic status. It's just all together, and it's such a beautiful thing what you've intended. Lord, um, your, your son said there, we think of uh, John 4, about how you desire for us to worship in spirit and in truth. So help us to do that, to set aside the physical, the things that are temporary, the things that maybe plagued us this week. Doesn't matter. We're here together in church now, and we get to praise you together as a body of believers. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. He alone is worthy of our praise. Let's stand and sing. worship him. Let's do so. Guys, you get to start. Ladies, you get to echo. One, two, here we go. I worship
is worthy of our praise. And to think about, I will bow down and hail you as king. Again, we look forward to a day that cannot happen until the rapture takes place and the tribulation and then finally the millennial kingdom, right? The thousand-year reign where undisputably Jesus Christ reigns and we will bow before him and praise him forever. We pray for that day, but we wait patiently and trust that it will come. For certainly, as Scripture says, it will happen. Everything that Scripture said has happened, already has, is, and will happen. God's in control. Let's sing together.
Yet constantly I am with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. Your counsel shows me what to do and guides me in the things I plan. And afterwards, so shall it be. You will with honor welcome me. Are you not all I have in heaven? None else on earth do I desire. Though human strength come to an end, my flesh may fail, my heart expire. My heart strength God himself will be my portion through eternity. Those far from you will surely 
guy who dealt with you unfaithfully. But as for me, I will draw nigh. How good that God is near to me. I refuge take in God the Lord, that all your works I may morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you this morning. Glad that you're able to be here. We're also glad for those that are able to join us uh, by uh, Facebook this morning. Um, we do want to extend a special welcome to our visitors. If you're here with us for the first time, uh, we'd love to connect with you. So we have a connection corner. It's in the back. And uh, we'd love to just get a moment to chat with you, um, share some information about our church with you. If you have any questions, they can be able to answer those for you. Um, there's also um, some sign-ups back there, let you know a little bit about our, some of the ministries and things that we have going on here. Uh, following the morning worship service here, we have a science school hour. We encourage you to uh, be part of that as well, just get to know you a little bit better. Um, there also will be a time of dismissal for if you have young children. Um, during our last song, there will be a slide that will come up there and just dismissing our young children. They'll tell you the ages uh, for those children if they want to go back to um, children's church. Um, just by way of a reminder here, um, mention those signups in the back there in the connection corner. I had a few questions about the ladies' craft night. Um, several people have already signed up, which is fantastic. Um, in fact, there's, you can turn it over if there's no room in the front to sign up, but uh, we do need you to sign up for that, all right? They're, we're bringing in someone for that particular craft night, and so they're bringing supplies with them. Um, there is also a cost to that, so make sure that if you uh, are planning to go to that, you sign up so that there's enough supplies for you, and, uh, and then you can check the cost and other details in the back there. Uh, we are... Also really thrilled this morning to be able to have the Fries with us, John and Joanna Fry, um, missionaries to Italy. They'll be sharing with us uh, this morning, so we're so glad to have them with us. Uh, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Don for prayer. Stand together for prayer. What a joy it is, Father, to come together and worship you. And as we have sung this morning, we recognize that you are the king. You are ruling in the kingdom of man. You are in control. You take the king's heart and move it wherever you will. We recognize, Father, that there is much going on in this world. It's a dangerous world. That should not surprise us because you've told us in your word that in those last days that it would be a perilous time, a dangerous time, because men would, would love themselves, would love pleasure more than being lovers of God. And we see that around us this morning, but I pray, Father, that, that we would be light and salt in that world, that we would have an impact upon the circle of our influence, upon our friends and our co-workers, that they would see Christ in us, that they would see 
ones who indeed put you first in their lives, ones who, who recognize that there's an eternity for which we live and that we do not put these temporal things first, that they are not our priority. We thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning and to worship you, to study your word, to be reminded of these truths so that we might indeed apply them to our lives. Father, as we have sung this morning, we have sung that, that we are able to come together this morning with the confidence that we'll spend eternity with you because you love us, because we are forgiven. That's only possible because our Savior was forsaken. Our sin was placed upon him, and he took our place upon that cross and took the penalty for our sin so that indeed we might have that eternal forgiveness and that eternal life with you. We thank you, Father, that uh, we have that hope and that confidence. We do indeed look forward to that time when he will come again and that he will receive us unto himself and that he will come and he will reign upon this earth. And we recognize, Father, that that is all in your plan and in your timing. In the meantime, you've told us to occupy, to keep busy, to fulfill the responsibilities that you have given to us, again, to be that light and salt in this world. We pray, Father, for our missionaries this morning that uh, we support around the globe. We'd ask, Father, that you would encourage them as your word goes forth today in their various ministries. We pray that it would impact hearts, that people would recognize their need of Christ. We thank you for John and Joanna, their family, as they are with us this morning. We pray, Father, for their ministry, and we'd ask that you would continue to encourage them. Thank you for what you've accomplished uh, through that ministry in these past years, and we pray with them for what you will do in the future. And we thank you for you allowing us to have part in that ministry through our support. And I pray this morning that we might be an encouragement to them as they would be to us as we learn of what you are doing in England. So we are grateful for the time together this morning. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Savior in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
We join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand said with that song thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as as it is in heaven may may you come father we look forward to your son jesus christ coming he is our hope redeemer now and forevermore thank you so much that you love us and you are coming for us lord in your name amen if I miss this announcement, I'll say it again here. The, um, the Sunday school hour will be adults and teens combined in the auditorium. So maybe I, I missed that, but just in case, we just wanted to let you know that as well. And I believe they'll be starting right at 11 o'clock. Let's go ahead and stand and sing one more time before we hear from our brother John Friday.
be seated. Praise the Lord. Thank you, praise team, and especially Jake and Lily and Luke. Thank you. Appreciate the kids' involvement this morning. We are glad to have John and Joanna Fry with us and their two boys, Elijah and Calvin. Thankful for their time with us today. They'll be here just this morning, so they'll not be in our evening service tonight, but our evening offering will be our gift to them. So come prepared tonight for that offering. If you're not going to be able to be here tonight, but you want to contribute to that offering, just place it in the, the box there in the back and just put it in the memo that it is for the, the Fry's ministry. So our offering will be for them. But it is our privilege to have them. Um, they have the background here in our area. Uh, Joanna grew up uh, over in the Wellsboro area and has family over there. And uh, John's grandfather, some of you knew his grandfather, his name was John Fry as well, but pastor down in Terrytown. That was probably 50 years ago or whatever, I don't know. I'd, but uh, many years ago, his grandfather, uh, pastor down in Terrytown, uh, his grandfather just passed away this uh, past week. The funeral is this coming week. But uh, John's father then pastored at Diamond Boulevard Baptist Church up in Anchorage, Alaska. And that's actually the Fry's Ascending Church. Ministering over in England, they've been there for five years, and now are home for a seven-month furlough. We've had the privilege of supporting them since uh, they began in their ministry back in 2017. We started our support, so it's our privilege to be part of that ministry in that way. And so we're thankful that they've come. John's going to present God's word to us in Sunday school. As Mike said, all the adults and teens will meet right here in the auditorium. And they will give their presentation and just update us on the ministry there in England. John, you come and open God's word. Pastor. Well, good morning. Uh, it is a great joy to be here with you today uh, to spend this time uh, reconnecting uh, with you as a church uh, spending time in worship and then looking forward to a time of updating in regards to the ministry uh, in the United Kingdom. If you have a Bible, I do invite you to open to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20, looking at a, a moment in the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, where we will see this morning the gospel heart of our Savior and hopefully not only explore that, but uh, our own hearts responding uh, to the gospel, and particularly as Christians having a similar heart of Jesus as we seek to share the good news uh, with those around us. Mark chapter 5, I'll read verses 1 through 20, and then we'll work our way through this passage a little bit this morning. Mark records in verse 1, they came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been found with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I wonder this morning, uh, if you as a, a Christian, if you find it difficult in your life to engage with non-Christians about Christianity, if you're honest with yourself this morning, do you find it difficult or challenging to have gospel conversations, uh, to tell others of the hope that is within, or to confront error with the truth of God's Word. I imagine that in this room, uh, this is an area in our Christian lives that we would all say that we need to work on, uh, that we struggle with, that we do find difficult. And there are many reasons for that. I mean, we live in a world that is not only indifferent to the gospel, but at times hostile to the message of Jesus Christ, to the gospel, to the truth of the Bible. And even if it's not hostile, at least it is one that is increasingly not wanting to hear the good news. You might have seen, I think it was just before Christmas this last year, uh, England uh, had uh, published its most recent census data uh, regarding Christianity in that country, and the, the news of that uh, went international, and the results of that uh, census are very dramatic. In the year 2021, it was the first time uh, recorded in at least a thousand years when less than 50% of England's population identified as Christian. In 10 years, from 2011 to 2021, that number dropped from 59% to 46%. And this double-digit decline has been a constant trajectory for that country and is not slowing down anytime soon. And so as we, as we minister in the country of England and as we see much of what is happening in the West, there is a growing resistance to the Christian faith, to the message of Jesus Christ, to his life and work. And I think this morning we all feel that in our own lives, do we not? We probably feel this in our conversations that we have with people, whether they be friends or family, uh, work colleagues, fellow students, teachers. We read of this in our news. The stories of entertainment are leaning that direction. Even the messages and adverts push against the truth uh, of God's word and the gospel. 
We see this in the ideologies that are sweeping across Western society, and we can find it, as Christians, difficult to live in this cultural moment, to engage with Christian truth. But for us as as believers, we have a great blessing. We have the great blessing of God's Word. Even in days like today, we can open up the Scriptures, this fountain of truth that is packed full of examples of Christians who have lived in moments just like ours. As we venture into the modern secular age, packed with its many challenges to our faith, we can turn to the Bible, to stories, examples, where Jesus, the disciples, the early church engaged a resistant and hostile world with the gospel. And we can be encouraged. We can be strengthened. We can be equipped. Now, as we consider Mark chapter 5, these 20 verses, there is a lot of doctrine in this passage. There are some glorious truths about Jesus Christ, and you could literally spend three to four weeks working through just these 20 verses. But for our time this morning, I really want us to lean into the example that we see here in the life of Jesus and his ministry as he engages this hard-hearted sinner. And it's my prayer that as we explore this story, that we would be challenged in our own gospel engagements that we will have tomorrow in the upcoming week, that we will be equipped to minister the gospel in this world and in our communities, and that we would be encouraged knowing that it is Jesus Christ who is at work, and that we as his people have the tremendous privilege of proclaiming this great gospel. So for our time, I want us to consider three things from this moment in the ministry of our Savior as we think about our own gospel ministry. First, We need to take note of mankind's greatest problem. Mankind's greatest problem, the problem of sin. And I don't think it's any secret that this is one area of biblical truth that most people struggle with. We don't like the word sin. We don't like what it means. I don't like what it communicates about myself. And yet as you read the Bible, as you listen to the teachings of Jesus, as you read the writings of the apostles, sin is foundational to a proper and complete understanding of the gospel. Now a simple definition for sin that we like to use in our church, in our preaching and teaching, is that sin is a rejection of God and a rebellion against his word. A rejection of God and a rebellion against against his word. And there's a lot of uh, things that we could discuss about that, but we see that in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible, as Adam and Eve sin. And what do they do? They reject God. They believe the lie, is God really good? And then we see they disbelieve his word. They, They disobey him. And this heart response runs through the Bible. It is the nature of every single human being. Sin is what makes sense of the chaos, the injustice, the suffering, the pain that we experience in this world. Sin is destructive. Sin destroys. And as we look at Mark chapter 5 here, we see that in the life of this man. For him, sin is not just a theological theory, but a daily reality of devastation. And there's four things that we want to note here from this passage about sin 
and its effects on our lives. First, we see that sin is enslavement. Sin is enslavement. It is captivity to an all-consuming, oppressive tyrant. And we see that with this man, don't we? I mean, as Jesus is, is beginning to, to engage with him, as he meets with him, as he begins to talk with him, it becomes evident that this man is demon-possessed. His heart and his life are held captive by the rule of Satan. And notice how strong this is. He is possessed by not just one demon, as horrific as that would be, but at least 2,000 demons and quite possibly 6,000 This man is enslaved, and there is nothing that he can do to escape. Sin is enslavement. Secondly, we see that sin breaks relationships that we were made for. If we go back to the creation account, Adam and Eve were created to know God. They were created to enjoy loving relationship with God, but sin destroys that. And what do we find Adam and Eve doing? They're driven away from the very presence of the Lord. They hide from the one they were made to know. Adam and Eve were also created to live in community with one another. But we see how sin drives a wedge here. If you turn the Bible from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4, what do you find? Brother killing brother. Loving relationships with God and others is what we were made to know, but sin breaks both of those. And again, we see that here with this man in Mark chapter 5. It's clear that he is far from God. The the lie and the the ways of Satan reign supreme in his heart. We don't know how he got to this point in his life, but, but would it seem obvious that he has given himself over to these lies and to Satan's ways? There is no loving relationship with his creator. As Paul would write to the Romans, no one seeks after God. But we also see how sin drives him away, not only from God, but from others. Sin is so destructive in his life that he must live far away from others. He must live in the company of the dead. And we see he's been, been shackled and chained and he's broke those. He, he's, he's violent. That is, that is the marks of his life and relationship with other people. Sin destroys the relationships that we were intended to know. Thirdly, we see that sin brings a life of darkness. Adam and Eve, as they sin, what is their first reaction? But to run and to hide from the glory of God. The Old Testament, in in speaking of Israel's sin, often speaks of it, describes it in terms of darkness. As Jesus Christ comes to this earth, the Apostle John would write in John 1, it is like light entering darkness. And the Bible uses this visible illustration to expose the spiritual reality of every single sinner living in darkness. If you take a moment and just imagine the the setting of this scene, of the life of this man, the place that he lives, It's a very dark scene. I think if we were to take the most gruesome horror film that we have ever produced, that would pale in comparison to what we have here in this man's life. He's far from the light. He's far from the glory of God. He's far from the illuminating word of God. He lives in spiritual darkness. Fourth, 
we see that death is the outcome of sin. Death is the outcome of sin. I wonder if this is really at the heart of, of why we don't like to talk about sin. The reality of death. And although every single person will experience death, it is the one thing that is so unnatural to us. We weren't created for death, but for life. And yet sin ushers in this horrendous experience. And again, we find that here in the life of this man. I mean, just note, where is he living? He's living among the dead. His actions will bring about his physical death. We're told in the text that every day he is found cutting himself. But sin's effect is not just on the physical, but the eternal. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Separation from God forever. And this man is held captive by the one who will lead him into that eternal death. Sin's ultimate destruction is death. So if we take a moment and we step back and we consider what we see here about sin in the life of this man, there's a a couple of things that we need to note. We need to note how serious sin is. Sin is destructive. It is destructive in this life. It is destructive in eternity. And unless we really grasp that, unless we really understand that, we will never, as God's people, boldly engage a sinful world. If God did not see sin for what it truly is, then Jesus would have never come. Jesus would have never stepped out of the boat and met this man. Jesus would have never gone to the cross. And so, Christian, we need to hold fast and to to know the truth of the destruction of sin. Along with that, we, we need to not be surprised by what we see going on in the world around us. If we have a proper understanding of sin, then the injustice that we see, the wickedness that we see, the immorality that is growing, the false philosophies that are spreading should not surprise us. These are the results of a master liar who is lying. These are the results of an evil slave master who is holding captive those whom he has captured. This is the work of an expert in the craft of bringing division and unrest and hate. So don't be surprised by the presence of sin in this world. We must also recognize that this is the heart of every single human being. We've made mention of that already. And I know that we could look at Mark chapter 5, we could look at the life of this man, and we could say, "Eh, he's a bit of an extreme example. And that is true. I don't think there's too many people running around Tawanda possessed by 6,000 demons. But what we see here, not only in this text, but throughout the Bible, is that the ultimate destruction of sin in this life is the same in the life of every sinner. What does sin do? It enslaves. It breaks relationship. It is marked by spiritual darkness. Its outcome is death. And this reality of sin should cause God's people not to shake their heads in disbelief, but rather ready themselves to engage this world with the gospel. Again, is that not what God did? He engaged a sinful world. He engaged sinners with the good news. He didn't shake his head at our sin, confused at what was going on, 
standing back and just watching. No, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the second thing that we see in this narrative. In this example of Jesus, and that is his care and compassion for the lost. Now, no matter where you turn in the Gospels, whether it's in Mark's Gospel or one of the other three, I just love how Jesus is so caring and compassionate. Even when Jesus is is speaking bluntly, confronting uh, the religious leaders, Jesus is so caring and compassionate to people. And if there's one thing that in this world that Christians need as markers in our lives, it is care and compassion. Again, I don't think it's any secret that our world is growing in its lack of compassion and care. Watch the news, scroll through social media, listen when there are disagreements. We, as God's people, need to follow the example of Jesus. We must be different in this way. And here in this story, Jesus teaches us three things, exemplifies three things for us. First, Jesus goes to this man. Jesus meets this man where he is. Now, if you allow your eyes just to kind of look at the passage before uh, Mark 5 and the passage after, even in through chapter 6, we find that this is a, a, a period of time in the life of Jesus where he's very busy. Just prior to this event, his day has been full of preaching and teaching. The evening has come and he calmed a raging storm. And I'm sure that Jesus is a bit tired from that busy day of ministry. But not only that, if you look at the passages that follow Mark 5, 1 to 20, it's a day, again, that is full of activity. There will be miracles and there will be gathering of crowds. Some of the people in the crowd will be seeking to kill him. And then Jesus will perform that miracle of feeding, providing for thousands of people. And I know that if if I were Jesus in the midst of a very busy time in my schedule and I step out of a boat and I see this crazy man running towards me, the last thing I'm going to want to do is engage with him. I'm going to say I'm too tired from yesterday's work and I've got too much on my plate today. But that's not what Jesus does here in this passage. What what does Jesus do? He, He moves towards this sinner. He steps out of the boat and he engages this man. And I think this is a a real example for us. It's it's a challenge to us as God's people. The question that each one of us needs to ask individually and we need to ask corporately as a church is, do we intentionally move towards sinners? Do we go to where they are? Or do we wait for them to come to us? Do we wait for them to step foot into our church building and then we'll share the gospel? That's not the way of of Jesus. If we think about who he is and what he has done, he's come to earth. He's left the throne room of heaven to come and sit and eat with sinners. Jesus is the one who stepped out of the boat and went into the graveyard. Now, I know that at times this can be incredibly uncomfortable. It can be extremely messy at times, but but as God's people, we have a very simple call. Two letters, one word, go. Go. And and I think what's, what's so great about this call and this command is that the one who has given us that command, he's the one who has set the prime example. 
Secondly, we see in this passage, Jesus, in his care and compassion, he addresses the problem. Jesus addresses the problem of sin, and he does so in an extraordinary way. He doesn't give this man a list of do's and don'ts, of religious activity. He doesn't call for simple behavior change. There's no demand for him to clean himself up and then I'll meet you in the temple or the synagogue and then we'll deal uh, with what's going on in your life. The reality is all of that is impossible for this man. All of that would do no good for him. Rather, what we find here in Mark 5 is Jesus speaking to the heart issue. He's addressing a heart that has rejected God and rebelled against him. A heart that is in life that is facing serious consequences. Jesus recognizes the enslavement that this man is is in. He, He calls out the demons. Jesus, the Son of God, steps into the life of this godless man. Jesus shines the light of truth into the heart of darkness. This man who meets Jesus on the, on, the shore side, on the shore is a man who meets the one true God and who comes to find out that without him, left in his sin, there is no hope. As Christians, as we live in this world, as we live in this moment in history, we must address the problem. We must not hide or mask the reality of sin. In fact, the most unloving thing to do is to belittle sin. What people need to hear, what each of us needed to hear, is the reality of sin. To have our hearts exposed for what it is. And that's what Jesus does as he meets this man. But we must not stop there. It's easy to to point out what is wrong. I don't know about you, but it's always easy for me to to find out what is wrong in someone else's life and to point that out and to stop there. But we need to to do more than that. And and again, Jesus is our example here. The third thing, in his care and compassion, Jesus offers true and lasting hope. Jesus doesn't just confront and call out sin. He deals with it. Jesus does what this man could not do. Jesus does what what the people in the town could not do. He does what only God can do. He sets free the slave to sin. In this narrative, it's it's a very dramatic moment. (laughs) Jesus speaks to hell's minion, and, and, and they must listen. They must obey. They leave this man, and they, they fill the pigs, and they run into the sea. Now, as we look at, at our world, we see a world held captive by Satan's strong grip. It may not be as, as visibly horrific as we see here, but it's just as serious. And again, as, as God's people, as the church, we've been called to go, like Jesus, to meet sinners where they are to share with them the hope of the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to proclaim his rescue and deliverance, forgiveness and restored relationship. We are are called, commanded to go and call them to run to him, to repent and to believe, to place their faith in him alone for eternal life. As God's people, we must preach Christ alone. Now, I know that the real challenge is that as we look around our worlds, 
as we engage with sin, it can be at times frustrating. It can challenge us. It can even make us angry. And I think that we should be angry at sin. I mean, it, it has devastating consequences, but we must not allow that to damper our care and compassion for sinners. Again, does Jesus not exemplify that here in this text? Or on the cross, or in our lives? His hatred of sin and his love in saving sinners. May we have a heart like Jesus as we confront sin and offer hope. May care and compassion be the marks of our gospel ministry as individuals and as a church. Well, the third thing we see in this example is Christ's authority. Again, Jesus does only what God can do. He speaks, the demons listen, and the man's life is transformed. Jesus Christ has ultimate and absolute authority. And as we think about the challenge that it is to engage this world, we must recognize this marvelous truth. It is here that we will find gospel confidence as we step outside the walls of this building. Our salvation is fully the work of Christ in us. And the response to any gospel proclamation that we make is the work of Christ in and through his people. It's, it's freeing to know that as, as we step out, we don't step out in our own feeble strength, in our finite wisdom. We step out into an indifferent, uninterested, maybe even hostile world with the power of Christ in the gospel. What does Jesus tell his disciples just prior to giving them the Great Commission, just prior to sending them out? to go and to preach. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This means the power of the spoken word here in this story is the same power when we preach the gospel. There is power in the spoken word of God. It is alive and active. It cuts through the deepest heart of stone. It pierces the darkest soul. When we preach the gospel, there is real and true power. This also means that as we offer hope to the world, it's not a limited hope. It's an eternal hope grounded in the power of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the, of the one who freed this man from the legion of demons who had possessed him. It's the power of the one who went to the cross, who bore the wrath of God, who was raised from the dead, the one who conquered sin, death, and hell, which we sung of this morning. If our confidence comes from anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, our confidence will be shallow and weak. Our confidence will flounder as we engage a world bent on resisting and rejecting Christianity. And our lack of confidence will keep us away from the people who desperately need to hear the good news and who we have been called to go and to preach to. So Christian, if you are struggling in this area of personal evangelism, if you get nervous as, you, as you're sitting around uh, your lunch break and you realize that this conversation is moving towards a moment where the gospel could be shared and you begin to get nervous and, and trying to decide, should I say something or not? Remember who it is that you proclaim. 
Remember who it is that you proclaim and the work that he has done. Now, it doesn't mean that the encounter will become any easier. But we can step into that opportunity with great confidence. Now, I love the end of this story. This man's life has has been transformed. His absolute desire is to follow Jesus. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, that's Jesus. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. It it seems kind of odd, maybe, how Jesus responds to this desire for this man to to be with him. Jesus doesn't allow him to do what, what he wants to do. Rather, Jesus says to him, yes, you're going to be my disciple, But instead of following me day and night like these other men, I want you to go and tell others of what you have experienced. And that's what the man does. He goes through the highly populated area, ten cities, and he begins to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. As we come to the end this morning, we we need to see our story in light of his story. As stated earlier, the the seriousness of this man's sin is no different from the sin in our own lives. The amazing work of Christ in this man's life is the same work in the life of every single believer. The transformation of a heart of stone that happens here is the same in the lives as we are given a new heart. A heart of flesh as the prophets would speak of. So may we as as God's people, may we reflect upon, meditate upon all that Christ has done for us. And as we do so, may our lives, just like this man, may our response be to tell others, to boldly proclaim the good news. As we end, I want to read the words of the psalmist in Psalm 67. It's a beautiful song which reminds God's people of God's glorious work. Reminds us of of the great freedom and restoration that comes from His grace and mercy. The blessing of the good news. It's a song of response, of praise, worship, thanksgiving. But it's also a prayer that this might not be just our experience but the experience of others. So may, as we read this, it be a prayer, again, of response and a prayer of asking the Lord to be at work in our gospel engagements. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Father, we thank you so much that this morning, as as your people, that we can be gathered here and we can sing for joy, that we can praise you. We thank you for the work of the gospel. Your love, your grace, your mercy.
your redemption and rescue, deliverance. We thank you for the transformation in the hearts and lives of your people. We pray for the opportunities that each one of us will have in the hours, days, and weeks ahead that we, like the man in this story, would recognize that, the significance of that transformation and desire and passionately proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we do pray that as the gospel is, is proclaimed, that people would put their faith and trust in you, seek after you, and know loving, restored relationship with their creator. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, John. I trust that you've been challenged as you've listened this morning. Certainly we have that responsibility to share that gospel of grace. It's so easy for us to look around at the, the world around us and the sin around us and become like the Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like this sinner. But we're all sinners. No one's better than another. We're all sinners. Praise God for his amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And the more we understand our own wretchedness, and the amazing grace that saved us, the more we will be inclined to share that gospel of grace with others. So let's not forget our own sinfulness before a holy God. And then let's share that gospel of grace with others. May we have that compassion and that care as we've heard this morning. Father, we do thank you for your grace and love in our behalf. Every single one of us are completely undeserving. Every single one of us rejected you and were in rebellion against your word. Every single one of us were condemned to death because of our sin. Because of your love and care and compassion, you sent your son to die for us. And you've done what only you could do. You have freed us from our sin. You've given us eternal life. What a shame it is for us to keep that to ourselves. What a shame it is to then turn and look at others as if they are greater sinners than we. Pray, Father, that we would be challenged this morning. Be faithful in our witness. Faithful in our testimony. Living out the care and compassion that Christ had for the lost. And may we go with his authority, proclaiming your truth. And recognizing that you can do the same in the lives of others as you've done in us. Thank you for the privilege to go forth and tell others of what great things you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
We're here to help and encourage you in any way we can. If you have any questions, please seek us out. We're thankful for the opportunity to do so. If you have any questions and come to us, we'd certainly be glad to, to help you in any way that we can. I do remind you that the Sunday school follows at 11 o'clock and the adults and teens will be meeting right here in the auditorium. Shall we stand? Thank you again, Father, for this time together this morning, for the challenge from your word and for that reminder of your truth. I pray, Father, that you'd guide in the Sunday school hour to follow. I pray that we'd be encouraged and challenged once again. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. May God bless you.